you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube. All right, you can open your Bibles. Actually, actually, that's right. I'm going to have you open your Bibles. I'm going to give you a little preface this morning. Uh, something that's been on my mind for the last couple of weeks uh, as we've been in this teaching. We're talking about the nature of God, but we've kind of moved into talking about the nature of God as a healer. It's a part of his nature. And we'll touch on that in a moment. What I, I wanted to remind you, why don't you open your Bibles over to Mark chapter 4 with me. I hope you brought your Bible. hope you brought something to take notes. Um, some of our scriptures will be on the screen, but not all of them. We do that on purpose so that you use your Bible. Uh, I want you to go to Mark chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 14. Here's the thing. Jesus told us, you know, back up just one step. So currently, the current application of what I'm about to say is that we are addressing the specific topic of healing from the scripture, who God is as a healer, how healing works in our lives. All right, so you're hearing that word. So Jesus, in teaching in Mark chapter 4, he talked about the word being sown into our hearts as seed, right? Remember that? Anybody remember that? Okay. Uh, And in verse 14, he says, the sower, I'm reading from the Amplified Version right now, the sower sows the word of God, the good news regarding the way of salvation. In verse 15, he defines the first type of soil that he talked about earlier in this chapter. He says, these are the ones along the road where the word is sown, but when they hear, everybody say, when they hear, Satan immediately, say immediately, comes to take away the word which was sown in them. All right? So whenever we hear the word of God, it comes into our hearts as seed. This this type of soil or a type of heart is generally thought of as a hard heart, a heart that just hasn't fully received uh, the word of God. Maybe it's hard in the sense that it's sort of pushing against the word of God. Maybe we can also be hard-hearted in the sense that we're just not making the effort it takes to take the word deeply into us. For whatever reason, that word comes and it's sitting on the surface. And Jesus said that when we hear the word, Satan will come immediately to try and take that word out of your heart so that it can't put down roots and reproduce itself, produce life in you. This is just a practical spiritual truth that Jesus taught us. But sometimes we forget about it. So here's what happens. The example we're using right now is we're teaching on healing. I could be teaching on forgiveness. Or you could be listening to a message somewhere else on forgiveness. Or you could be in your own prayer time, in your own uh, time in the scripture, and something could stand out to you, the Lord speaking to you about forgiveness and forgiving. And you get up out of that time and you're excited about it. But if we don't take the time to really let that soak in, you will have an opportunity many times 
almost immediately. If it's on forgiveness, you'll have an opportunity to get offended. You'll have an opportunity to feel rejected. You'll have an opportunity uh, to run into something. It can be the simplest thing or the deepest thing. Many, somebody can, you know, for what traffic we have, somebody can uh, do something to you in traffic that ticks you off. And you lo- what happens is that word gets stolen out of our hearts with healing. This is something when I was on staff at Believer Center, I was going to say this became a running joke. None of us took it as a joke. Uh, But we knew if Pastor Marshall stood up and he started teaching on healing, a bunch of the congregation was going to have an opportunity to get sick in short order. That's not because healing isn't true. It's because the devil wants to steal the word out of your heart. So you'll hear the word and And almost immediately, you'll run into a situation that's very difficult or is ongoing, or you yourself will start to experience some symptoms in your body. We just need to realize, this is practical. We just need to realize, hey, wait a minute. This is coming to take that word out of my heart. So what do I do? I go back to that word, and I think on it, and I study it. I meditate on it. I pray over it. I allow it to put down roots in my heart. I'm, I, I become spiritually wise and I do not allow that word to get stolen out of my heart. And this is just something, this is something you can, almost certainly you can put this truth to work when you walk through those doors. I, mean, I love practical truth from the Bible. And so as we've been studying on healing, I was thinking, I need to, bring, I need to remind us of this. If we go down to, he really gives us uh, the instruction on how to do this, if we go down to verse 24 in Mark chapter 4, it says, and then he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. We've got to give the word value in place. We do that from in here. I can't do that for you. Nobody can do that for you. Every one of us, when we hear the word of God, we've got to place a value on it. And that holds it. It's like it holds it in the soil. He said, pay attention to what you hear. By your own standard of measurement, that is to the extent that you study spiritual truth and apply godly wisdom. Study and apply. Study and apply. That's how we cover that word up. To the extent that you study spiritual truth and apply godly wisdom, it will be measured to you and even greater with an even greater ability to respond, more will be given to you. Um, Let me read this to you from one other translation. It says, pay attention to what you hear. Oops, that's the same translation there. Let's go back. I'm getting there. This is still the same one. Hang on, we'll get there. I had, anyway, I'm just backing up through here. Oh, and he talks about being offended. Maybe we should just study Mark 4. It's so good. Anyway, the old amplified version, the real amplified version says, what does it say, Karen? The measure of thought and study you give to it, truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to it. The measure of thought and study you give to the word you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you. I love that. And more besides, more besides. So I just want to encourage you as we're studying this, just be aware, or as we're studying anything, anything, just be aware. You do have an enemy and he wants to steal the word out of your heart and he does it in those practical ways. And if you start to watch for this, you'll see it happen. And you can, then you can just chuckle 
because you don't let that word go. Does that make sense to you? All right, so let's get into today's stuff. Uh, Just a, a quick review this morning. We just have to do that because we've all been out there in a crazy week. So here's some things we've covered. We talked about the fact, and, and again, you can get these last few weeks on our, you can go to our website at rmcmchurch.org. You can get the podcast. You can watch the YouTube video, whatever it takes. Be sure you get the fullness of what we've been talking about. But we've made the point that healing is a characteristic of God's nature. That means it's who he is. It's not just something he does Sometimes, randomly, occasionally. And a lot of people believe that. But beginning back in Exodus 15, verse 26, and then throughout the scripture, and certainly in the demonstration of the ministry of Jesus, he defined himself as the Lord God, our healer. It's who he is. And it's not just something he does or we have to talk him into. It's who he is. It's what he desires. We talked about the fact that each of us are responsible for settling in our own thinking and our own believing the fact that it is God's will to heal. If it's part of his nature, it's his will. We know that his nature is to love. Well, or his nature is love. Well, that means it's his will for you to know his love, right? And we don't argue with those things. He is our Savior. He is our salvation. He is our shepherd. We understand who he is, and then we view what he does in that context because he always acts out of his nature. So we looked at primarily at Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4 uh, on that subject. And in the Passion Translation, this is where the leper came up to Jesus, and, and he said, Lord, you have the power to heal me if you really want to. And Jesus said, of course I want to be healed. All right, but this is where people struggle. They never rarely struggle with the idea that God has the ability to heal. They struggle with his willingness. Is he willing? Is it his will? It's his will. Jesus made that very clear. All right, we talked about the fact that a lot of healings in Scripture and today, are progressive rather than instantaneous. Sometimes they're instantaneous. A lot of a lot of healings in the Bible were instantaneous, but we get thrown. We don't get thrown by that. You know, if somebody's healed instantly, we figure that's God. But if somebody receives part of their healing and then it takes a little while for them to receive the fullness of it, then we start to question. You know, was that God or wasn't it? But we talked about the fact that there's this Greek word therapeuo used throughout the New Testament uh, many times where it's translated healing, and it means to give therapy or render a cure. Um, In Mark 8, beginning in verse 22, Jesus laid hands on a blind man and asked him if he could see, And he said, yeah, you know, he could see, but people looked like trees walking around. So in other words, his vision was still blurry, but it had come from being blind to blurry. All right. So what did Jesus do? Rebuked him for his lack of faith. No, Jesus prayed for him again. Jesus prayed for him again until that vision was totally restored. Okay. And then in just one more example, Luke chapter 17, verse 14, there were 10 lepers that were prayed for. You remember the story was only one that came back and gave thanks, which is kind of the main point of it. But what it says there is they were healed as they went. So they weren't all healed right there. They were healed 
as they went. The healing took a little bit of time to manifest in them. And we talked about that so that we wouldn't get discouraged when we pray for somebody. And, and we're, we'll just ask people, you know, do you, do you feel any better? Is the pain gone? Is it partially gone? Where are you at? And we'll pray for them again. Now, boy, it was interesting. Boyd brought up uh, the verses he did out of Mark 11 uh, because I was going to talk about that. This is one of those places where there are two big truths in the scripture that sort of stand in tension with one another. And we see that in a lot of places in the scripture. Uh, the, the one truth over in Mark 11 is that we need to believe that we receive when we pray. All right. So that means when I come to pray, I want to have spent time in God's word, allowing faith to be built in my heart so that when I ask, I'm already believing that I receive, okay, or that I receive for somebody else. So believe that you receive when you pray, all right? But the scripture Jesus also said, ask and keep on asking, knock and keep on knocking, seek and keep on seeking, right? The Bible talks to us about perseverance in prayer, talks about faith and perseverance in the same in the same verses many times. So there's a place also for persevering in prayer. We're not persevering in prayer to change God because God already has the nature of a healer, all right? We're not trying to get him to do something he never thought of before because Jesus already took those stripes on his back and we are healed, okay? Or the healing belongs to us. We are persevering in prayer whether we're wrestling against the devil, whether we're dealing with our own flesh, whether we're dealing with somebody else's flesh, whatever it is, there are many reasons that we persevere in our believing and in our receiving and in our prayer for other people. So both of those things are true. They aren't contradictory to one another, but they are two big truths that are both appropriate. All right, But we just need to understand that a lot of times, don't get discouraged when you're praying for somebody and maybe you have to pray again, maybe again and again. Maybe you have to stand in prayer for a while, then stand in prayer for a while. We, the point is getting somebody healed because we know that's God's will. So whatever it takes, that's our goal. Get healed. Okay, does that make sense to everybody? All right, and then last week we talked about the fact that healing belongs to us. It's guaranteed in the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ. We went through a lot about that. We looked at other areas where he became our substitute. He took something for us so that we don't have to have it. We get, he, he became our substitute and now we get to receive what he has. Okay. And he stood in that place for us. He took, in this case, in the case of healing, he took stripes on his back so that we could be healed. And the work we saw that the same work that paid for our sin also paid for our healing. And if you if you haven't ever heard that or you just go back and get last week's teaching, we went through it real thoroughly. We looked at a lot of scriptures about this. And from that, I just want to say one more thing. It makes no sense to think that God sent Jesus, the Father, sent his Son to die for our sin, to take those stripes on his back for our healing, did all those things, and then to think that he's going to put sickness on people's lives when he already paid for it to be removed 
from our lives. That would be a great example of a kingdom divided against itself. He paid for our healing. He took our sickness and our disease, like we saw last week, to the cross with him. And now he's going to turn around and put that thing on us. Besides, we don't have one example of Jesus ever doing that, ever. But it makes no sense to think that God would put something on us that he paid that price to remove from us. It makes no sense. And yet, it's a, it's a big part uh, of, of bad theology, okay? All right, so let's move on this morning, get into some new things this morning. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the fact that healing the sick is a foundational part of our assignment on earth. And we're going to look at some other verses before we get to the one that's on your screen. It's a, it's a part of the church's role is to pray for sick people, to bring the healing that Jesus purchased to sick people. We can think about it, not, again, bigger context than just healing. We're talking about healing right now. But basically, our assignment during this time, before Jesus comes again, the assignment of the church is to release and enforce the victory that Jesus won at the cross. We are here on earth to do that. We are here to represent him. We are here to be his hands and his feet. We are here to take what he already did, receive it, but also release it to the world and enforce that victory because there is still a thief loose in the earth that wants to steal from people's lives. And so we are here in his authority uh, to stand and to insist in prayer on what he has already provided and release that into the earth. That is his kingdom coming, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right? Does that make sense? You getting this? No? Okay. Talk to me. Okay. So here's, let's just, we're just taking a few verses. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. All right, again, I don't have all of them on your screen. Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. This is when he was sending out the 12 disciples initially. And it says, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and he gave them, notice this, authority and power, authority and power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease, every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. All right, so Jesus called the 12 sending them out ahead of him, and he gave them power and authority over demonic spirits, all right, and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Okay, one message there is that there is not a kind of disease or a kind of sickness that is outside of what the Lord has provided for. So it's outside of his authority, outside of his ability and willingness to heal. There aren't any. He gave them authority over all kinds of sickness and disease. So where that meets the rubber meets the road with us a lot of times is that there are certain sicknesses and certain diseases that get way too big a name in our own thinking. Cancer is one of them, okay? The big C, you know? And, And it's because we've seen a lot of people very sick and die with cancer. And and it's a terrible, terrible disease. Okay, but it's not bigger than the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee's got to bow. Every tongue confess that he is Lord, all right? 
And so when he gave them, he, and I want you to notice, he gave them authority and he gave them power. All right, authority and power. The word translated here for authority is the Greek word exousia, which is almost always the word that's used for authority. It means the legal right to use power to enforce a law or victory. The legal right, the legal right to use power. It's, this is authority. That's what authority is. It's the right to use power. All right. We know that power can be used legally. Power can be used correctly and power can be used illegally. Power can be used to, to try to manipulate, to try to dominate, to try and exalt self. We see this in human government. We see situations where somebody try. well, okay, not trying to get political here. It's just a current great example. Uh, our president decided to try to use his power uh, to mandate vaccines for all of these large, well, I consider large businesses with, you know, a hundred or hundred or more uh, people. So no matter what you think about that, just turn your thoughts around. We're talking about something here. Don't get off because I'm using this as an example. But so the Supreme Court this week stepped in and said, you don't have the authority in the executive branch to wield that power. Okay, that's one of the reasons, whatever you think of our government, the fact that there are three branches, they were designed the way they were, much of it was taken out of the book of De Deuteronomy. It, it is a design that has checks and balances because it's a human government and it's going to be messed up. I don't care how good it is. If it's a human government, it's going to be messed up. The government that's going to be perfect is when Jesus is sitting on a throne in Jerusalem. Okay. But so it's just a great example. They, that was why, why did the Supreme Court come back and say you can't do that? Because he doesn't have the authority to wield that power. Some of those uh, agent, the agencies and the Department of Justice, they have the power to force people to do things. But in this country, we've not given them the authority to use that power in that way. Does that make sense to you? So it's the same thing. When we go to pray for somebody and we're praying in the name of Jesus, what does that mean? We're praying in the authority that he gave us as believers. And we cannot pray prayers that are outside of what he did and provided for us at the cross. And that's a huge broad. Our salvation isn't just about going to heaven. There's a massive amount of blessing and promise that is contained in our idea of salvation and our relationship with God. Anything that is contained, any promise, that's why the Bible says that every promise is yes and amen in Christ. What it doesn't say is anything I can imagine or want is yes and amen in Christ. It says what is every promise that God has made. Jesus came and he took our sin. And when he was raised from the dead, that resurrection was God's stamp of approval on that work saying, this is my son. It is finished. The, the rule, the dominion of sin and death in this earth, it is finished in him. And now anyone who will accept his work for their life 
can be born again, can be filled with the Holy Spirit, can live eternity with me, and can partner with what I'm doing in the earth. Does this make sense to you? So that's the realm in which we can exert authority and we can use the name of Jesus. Saying in the name of Jesus is not just a little phrase that we attach to the end of a prayer to make it sound churchy, spiritual. We're saying in the name, in the authority of Jesus Christ when we pray. So that's what he did here. He gave his disciples, and this is before the cross, but he they're working in his anointing, in his authority. He said, I give you authority and power. Authority is the right to use the power. And I give it to you in these areas. Cast out demons, heal the sick. Okay? And just another practical example of what this is. We know that our uh, police officers, law enforcement officers, they carry a badge and they carry a gun, right? Or a taser or whatever, okay? Billy club, whatever. One, the badge is a symbol of the vast authority that stands behind them. Authority that, the way it's supposed to work, we the people have given to them in order for government to be able to not give us rights, but defend our rights, okay? So so that badge says the entire uh the entire city of Gunnison stands behind me. The entire state of Colorado stands behind this. The entire United States stands behind this. And that's what this badge symbolizes. Then whatever other type of, you know, the, the gun, the handcuffs, the all the other stuff, that's the power. That's the power to make it happen. But you can't use the gun or the handcuffs or the taser outside of the legal authority that you have right? But you can use the authority, the power within the legal authority that you're given. Everybody get what I'm saying? I know I'm really dwelling on this, but it's so important. When we go to, we should have so much confidence when we go to pray for somebody because we're praying. It's not me. I can't heal you. I can't set you free. I can't cast a demon out of your life, but Jesus can. And I stand in his authority and in his name. And we've got to have that in our hearts when we go and lay hands on a person. It's not me. And it can't be about me because we get into all kinds of weird stuff. If we even think it's about me, we can get over into, you know, the misuse of power. But we can also get so intimidated because we know good and well. I can't eradicate that disease. I'm not even a doctor let alone, you know, be able to just rebuke this thing from your life. But in his name, I just am here in his authority. I'm just here in his authority. And because I'm here in his authority, then there's a right use, then his power can flow through my life to do whatever it needs to do, okay? So it's really important that we understand that he gave authority and power in this in this situation, all right, and so there really there is there's a lot of terminology as you start to study, uh, especially the New Testament. There's a lot of terminology that the Apostle Paul uses, that well the Holy Spirit uses, obviously through all of it, that from the Greek language that was um, much of it. There there are accounting terms that he uses for us adding up everything that he's given to us. There are 
uh, legal terms. Our salvation is a legal decree in the spirit realm. And so there are legal terms that would have been used in a court of law. The fact that we are justified in him, it means you have been acquitted and declared not guilty. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. Not because you didn't do it, but because Jesus took the penalty for your sin. It is a legal decree. There, there's a lot of, there's military language. There are all these different things. But there's a, there is a, a, a spiritually law of heaven uh, context to our salvation. It was done at the cross. And at a point, at a point in history and eternity, that will be made very clear. That victory will stand forever. And we're invited into it. Man, that's so good. So when we're out there praying for somebody, this is, this is where our assignment is to release and enforce the victory that Jesus won. All right? So when it said every kind of sickness, every kind of disease, we saw Jesus. He dealt with death directly. He raised people from the dead, right? And people are still being raised from the dead in this earth today through his name. He dealt with uh, people who had long-running sicknesses. He dealt with people who were physically infirm, who'd been injured or crippled. We don't always know the reason. We, we, he prayed for one woman who'd had her back bent over for 18 years. You know, there's just this vast variety of types of sickness and disease, and he gave his disciples power over all of them. So, so you say, well, okay, that was the 12. All right, go on. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. Luke chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. All right, it's, this is where he's, seven, he's sending out 72 more disciples. All right, 72 more disciples. And he says to them, When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's set before you, Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. And that term near, when it says the kingdom of God is near, it's a motion word. It really means the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's what Jesus was, that's what they were preaching as they went ahead of him. The kingdom of God has entered your world, all right? But so it says here again, for these 72, heal the sick. And then in verse um Luke chapter 10, verse 17 through 19 comes back and it says the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. So again, we see authority over the devil. All right. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. And we'll look at a little more of that. That's That idea of trampling on snakes and scorpions actually does not mean you're supposed to go out and try and step on snakes or try to step on scorpions. I find it interesting, and we'll look at uh, Mark here, Mark 16, just a second. I find it interesting that, you know, there's a, a small group of people that have, have you know, they handle snakes uh, in their services. Is that where you grew up? <laughs> but I've never heard of anybody walking around on scorpions barefoot, you know, so it's just interesting they picked that one. But we'll see what that means in just in just a second. But anyway, so here they are. They come back, the 72 more disciples. All right, so it's not just the 12. 
Some of us were taught growing up that the 12, they're saints, we're not, and they are way closer to God than we are. And they had, they did have a special role for sure. But all of that, as we, as we move into past the resurrection, into the book of Acts, that same authority is given to all believers. And, and so here it is. Here's just one place. Mark chapter 16, uh, beginning in verse 17. It says, And these signs shall follow those who believe. Now remember, we've taught this for years. A sign points to something. The sign out here that says Crested Butte, 28 miles or whatever it says, is not Crested Butte. It's a sign that points to a other reality, uh, a very other reality uh, that is <laughs> that is Crested Butte. Um, so you know the sign out here that says Gundersen. It's not that's not Gundersen. It points to something, a different reality. Well, signs and wonders and miracles, somebody getting healed, whatever it might be, that points to who God is. It points to a reality of His nature and who He is. You know, him reaching out and extending mercy to us. It points to the fact that he's merciful. All right. So it says these signs will follow. They'll follow along. Uh, It should be in the life. We don't follow and seek them, but they follow us. Those who believe. And, And he said, in my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues, which is an outward manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's normal. And they will, it says, take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. All right? Now, you can take that as literally as you want, but the fact is that that was an idiom in the day that was commonly spoken. Take up, take up serpents, drink any deadly thing. It, it spoke of overcoming enemies. Taking up serpents means the devil's not going to have power over you, is what it means. Okay, it's not about picking up a snake off the ground. It's a spiritual truth. And it means it means you will have power over your enemy or enemies. All right. And uh, drinking any deadly thing, it speaks of divine protection. We have the same type of language in Psalm 91. Okay, I'm not trying to minimize what's said there. I'm just some people really stumble over the first part of the verse because of the last part of the verse. It's saying, he's saying, I will give you authority over the devil and what he tries to do in your life and in other lives. And you're, you're, and you're going to walk under divine protection. As you go out, you're going to walk under divine protection. Does that make sense? Okay, and then it says, and they will lay hands on the sick and they, the sick, will recover. That's a great promise. We want to, every time we pray for somebody, we want to stand on that promise because that promise holds the, it's a reflection of the authority of Jesus and what he has done. And then John chapter 14, verse 12, you, most of you know this one by heart. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, will he do also? And greater works than these will he do because I go to my father. That's a huge verse. And I think we all wrestle with it to some degree, but that's what he said. That's what Jesus said, okay? So the question becomes, where do we stand in relation to this whole subject of our assignment, of the authority we've been given? Uh, you know, I remember when I first heard teaching about the authority that was given to the believer. And obviously it's there to reflect the heart of God. It is anytime we're using his name or his authority to try and manipulate somebody else's will, 
that's wrong. That's witchcraft. That is not what we are there to do. We are there in the same way that he used his authority and power to serve us and lift us up. We are to use that authority and power to lift others up. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. So, you know, but I remember when I first started hearing that, I didn't know. that, and, And God answered my prayers when I didn't know that I could pray with authority. I didn't know that at the time. But after I learned that, then I needed to take his word and release it in his name. Once I learned what that was about, it changed my prayer life and it changed my expectations in prayer. It's, it's just such an important topic. And, I, and I'll never forget when we started learning about it and realizing what the Lord, what a privilege it is to be invited by him to partner with him in life like that. So uh, here's just a couple reasons Sometimes we exempt ourselves from this assignment and from carrying it out in the way that the Bible says. And so you have to ask yourself, why? Why do I back off from laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover? Why do I, you know, and again, I've told you time and time again, the people, every person that I know that has seen a lot of people healed They've prayed for a lot more people than they've seen healed. And they finally took the, the attitude, I'm just going to keep praying for them. I'm not going to get intimidated. I'm not going to stop. If I pray for somebody and they die, that makes me very sad. I mean, I've never had one drop dead right then when I was praying for them. But, you know, that makes me very sad. And But these days, it just goes, we got to push harder we got to push in this heart. I just need the word deeper in me because this is what Jesus said. So why do we back off? One of the reasons people back off from this assignment, exempt themselves from it, is because they feel unworthy. Okay, they look at this and and we might say, oh, well, that was the 12 disciples. Oh, well, I guess those 72 were pretty special too. And that's why I went through it the way I did. Need to understand that was given to every believer. Okay, this is our assignment in the earth. But sometimes we can feel unworthy of it. Well, guess what? We're unworthy of everything except in Christ. We are made worthy in him. That's what the term righteousness means. And so many times we just need, if if that's how you feel, don't try and pretend you don't from God, but take it to him and let him give you a deeper understanding of your position in him. Because it's got nothing to do with your good works or or he liked you better or anything like that. It has to do with what Jesus did. It is all in what Jesus did. But because of his blood, you are made, you are invited to the table. You are invited as a child of God to participate in his work, that he's his ongoing work in this earth. It's a huge privilege. But don't ever let unworthiness get on the inside of you because in his view, because of what Jesus did, you're worthy. He's declared it so. He has declared it so. That's what the term righteousness means. All right, sometimes we feel unqualified. Well, I don't, I don't know enough. I haven't been saved long enough. Uh, you know, whatever. I, 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 haven't, I haven't been to Bible school. That might be a good thing. You know, uh, we, we have this thing about qualification. And, but what we need to understand is that qualification is given by grace 
also. You are born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, if you're willing and obedient, willing to step out into something you're not comfortable with, but you know the Lord is leading you there. You know the word says it. That, in a way, qualifies you. That's what he's looking for. He used unqualified people all throughout the scripture. Paul wasn't qualified. Moses wasn't qualified. And he stood up and argued with God about it. I can't speak. I can't do this. I can't do that. How many of us have done that? God's not looking for natural qualification. He will train you himself. But qualified means my dependence is on the Lord Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Oh, the inheritance, that means going to heaven. No, it means going to heaven, but it means a lot more than that. Our inheritance is fellowship and communion and partnership with God. Our inheritance is being a part of his family. Our inheritance is being uh, lifted up into essentially the family business, what he's doing in the earth. So it says he has qualified you to share in that inheritance. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. I love this one. Such confidence as this is ours. This is Paul writing through Christ before God. Such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. So in other words, through Christ before God, there's a confidence that is available to us. And here's what it says. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. Not that we are competent in ourselves. It isn't that. But our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. He has made us competent as ministers of that new covenant. That's where our confidence has to be. That's where our confidence has to be. And then then we don't have to uh, back off. And sometimes we feel ill-equipped, okay? We need to understand, first of all, Jesus is the equipment. Holy Spirit is the equipment, number one. But also, you know, if you want to be more equipped, stay in the Word, okay? Learn to listen to the Lord. Learn to listen to the Spirit's nudges into your life to do this, don't do that, go here, don't go there. You know, be in church. I know you are, okay? I understand I'm I'm talking to people who are in church. But it's important to realize that we don't come out of a sense of obligation or something. Ephesians 4.12 says that all of those, those fivefold ministry gifts were given to equip us for our work of the ministry, what God's assigning us to be and to do in the earth. We are being equipped through a set of gifts. As we gather together, God equips us. We pray this for you guys all the time, for all of us, that all of us go out equipped. All right? This is something he does in the gathering, is he equips us for what he's calling us to do. I've got more, but i got to quit. I'm already over time. So did you get anything out of this this morning? All right, let's stand up and pray today. We'll be dismissed. Thank you, Lord. Ah, this, I've just been enjoying this so much. Just feeding, I just haven't fed on all this stuff in a while. Thank you, Father. Lord, we stand before you this morning. And Father, uh, again, 
our confidence is in you. Our competence is in you. Our equipping comes from you. Lord, but we go out of here as your children. We go out of here as just what you said. Your family, your children, your disciples. We are, we are, because you said it, a city set on a hill. We bring light in dark places. Whether we know it about ourselves or not, we trust you. And Father, for anyone who would agree, we, we give ourselves over to the assignment that you have given us to bring healing to people, but so much more than that. Lord, to be your hands and your feet in the place that you have set us in life. And Father, where we don't know, there's so many things we don't know, we trust you to bring your word alive to us and to teach us day in, day out, year after year, line upon line, precept upon precept to grow us. Every one of us are growing in all of this. But Lord, as we go out this week, you told us to take advantage of every opportunity that's there. So we open our hearts and we say, show us the opportunities. Help us not to just busily walk past opportunities to share your life and your love and your peace and your mercy and your healing and everything else with people. Lord, I thank you for this group of people. And I believe as they go out today, they go out into this community as the living church of Jesus Christ, your people in this earth. We thank you for everything that you do in all the places and people represented here. We thank you for it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to be dismissed in a minute. If you need prayer for anything, please come up. Love to pray for you. Uh, And of course, there's... There are goodies out there so we can hang around, get to know one another and uh, eat some snacks. Oh, yeah. And there's a children's church meeting in about 10 or 15 minutes. Okay, so I'm sure Nanette will round you up. But anyway, we encourage you to come. All right. Yeah, that's right. The doors will be locked until. Yeah. All right. Uh, Let's say it on the count of three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Go out there and be the church. You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org.